If you didn't hear at the time of the announcements, again, my name is Jeff, one of the elders here at the church. I'm glad you've come to join us in worship of Christ today as he is worthy of that worship. Uh, We're going to continue on with our study through the book of Acts. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16 today. If you would please go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Again, Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. If for some reason you forgot your Bible, you can use one of the Bibles in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that one home with you. Our desire is that everyone would have God's Word so you can read it and study it for yourself. Um, Also, while I'm talking about that, I'm reminded of the Connect cards that are also there in front of you. My hope would be that you fill one of those out. Those are ways that we can find out how we can pray for you or how we might be able to serve you. So members, regular attenders, and visitors, please fill those out. You can drop them at the collection boxes up here at the window as well as the black box over by the resource wall. As well, those resources over there are free. We want you to take those books as they're a good supplement to God's Word to help us know Christ better and develop our love for Him even more each day. So uh, again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Today we have Ellen Vale who's going to be reading our passage. So if you would please stand with us in reverence of God as His Word is read aloud. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us and we'll, we'll get into the sermon. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that we have your word, that we can come and hear from you on a daily basis. We are grateful for how you, you lead us and you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive your truth. And I pray that you do that today, and I believe you will as you promise to do so. Help us, Lord, to be your church. Help us to remain united as we walk in this world, uh, trying to proclaim and testify to the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ. Keep us united together. As you've told us, it is a, a strong testimony for the fact that you truly did send your Son. Help us, Lord, to have great faith. Help us, Lord, to, to, to walk in, in that faithfulness. Lord, we love you and we trust you. It's in your Son's name we pray in the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, last week, as this is a continuing narrative, last week we learned about how God, by his righteous discipline, took the life of Ananias and Sapphira because they lied about their own generosity towards the church. And last week, like it probably stunned a lot of us because of the severity of that righteous judgment, the people of that time, as that church was being built, were also frightened by God's action. That was what we were told. But now, as that shockwave sort of continues to echo through the church, as it continues to uh, move through Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, the apostles are going about healing multitudes of people while also performing untold signs and wonders. This is a moment of the church that was just bringing an incredible uh, power of God to light in the people's eyes. Therefore, that fear that the early church was feeling, the fear that they were, that it was right and it was reverent for the Lord, that fear was now being moved a bit more towards amazement. They now began to be more amazed about God because they were witnessing with their own eyes what they had only heard about from the prophets, the things that they had only read about or been taught about as the prophets foretold. 
as it was these signs and wonders that the Lord was allowing the apostles to perform as a way to authenticate that they were his, as a way to authenticate what the apostles were witnessing to and teaching about, which of course was Jesus who is the Christ. And all of this connects again, as this is a continuing narrative, all of this connects if you think about how we got here. This community, this this church community from the day of Pentecost was being continually built by God's Spirit and therefore sin was getting removed from them. Sin was getting cleansed from their heart. But as it often goes, that process is not typically as easy as we wish it would be, right? So there was some false worship going on. There was even some self-worship going on which is why we are given that story about Ananias and Sapphira in last week's passage, which is why we're given that, that look into the reality of God building his church. And I expect that you remember the story because it was just last week, but that couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied, not just to man, but ultimately to God. And then that couple was judged quite publicly, if you remember, right? They were put to death in front of people. They were judged quite publicly. Therefore, it is not really all that far of a reach to believe that the church then would be asking each other, well, then who is it that we can trust to tell us and teach us about the truth of God? So God, as it was always his plan, he had provided the whole church with apostles who were there tasked with setting down this clear and steady foundation for the church. This was their job. Their job was to teach and write down to record the rest of God's revelatory word and will, which is what we now call the New Testament as it speaks of the new covenant that came about in Jesus again, who is the Christ, which is all done. All of this is done. Everything we have in scripture, including the book of Acts, all of it is done for God's glory and for the good of his people whom he came to save, which he is continuing to do today, which he continued to do then and he continues to do today. We have baptisms as a way of testifying to that. It's a glorious good news. But if you would, as we continue, please look back at verses 12 and 13 with me. 12 and 13 say this, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Based on this testimony that we just read, I think it is fair to say that there was, rather that there is, a unique kind of confidence that comes upon a person when they are truly indwelt with the Spirit of God. After all, living within us is something, a kind of power that is not of this world. It is the divine power that actually brings life out of death. Right? We're told that it is the very power that resurrected Christ from the grave. Therefore, by what we read here in 12 and 13, we could say that there were no insincere believers who were joining the church at that time. No one was insincere in their faith, in their belief, as they were joining the church in those days based on what just happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Right? Everyone at that time got the message. Right? They understood. Everyone learned that God does, in fact, impose high standards for the integrity of his church in which he indwells. As well, remember, there was a very real 
threat of death for these people. Very real and present uh, threat of death in the air for anyone who went about speaking or teaching or worshiping in the name of Jesus. Therefore, they had to truly count the cost if they were to consider being converted to Christianity. They had real decisions to make on whether they wanted to, to risk death to be converted, converted into Christianity. And we see that danger in the rest of the book of Acts, which we'll get to in just a little while. We're going to come up, that's going to come about in just a few chapters with Stephen. But still, despite that danger, despite that very real threat of death, Christ's church continued to grow, right? Christ's continu church continues to develop. More and more people were being added into the kingdom on a daily basis. And it was growing so much that it seems that they now uh, had a spot at the temple which they went to worship, which was now considered sort of to be their place of corporate gathering. This is the place that they gathered together. You see, Solomon's portico, as we're told, is actually mentioned multiple times in the Bible. It's mentioned multiple times in the New Testament. The Apostle John tells us about this place because as he uh, discusses how uh, Jesus actually walked and talked in uh, the colonnades of Solomon or uh, Solomon's portico. And now here we have the early church gathering in that same place. And they did this because they needed a proper place for those newly converted Christians and those sort of interested onlookers to come and collect in order to learn about Christ and be evangelized about Christ. They needed this place. They had this place. And what went on there in Solomon's portico is actually what Scott referenced last week when he pointed out that sort of uh, misplaced verse, if you remember. He spoke about how it was sort of strange. There was all this conversation about generosity and faithfulness, and then there's this weird section, weird verse, actually verse uh, 33 of chapter 4 that talks about the apostles. But that verse is actually what connects what has always been happening as the church is being built to those ongoing stories that we read throughout the rest of the Bible. If you would look back at uh, chapter 4, verse 33 for just a moment, and you'll see how it connects. It says this, With great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You see, what was happening at Solomon's portico and truly all over was teaching and preaching of God's word. That's what they were doing. They were declaring what was true. They were teaching and preaching God's word, which led the people into the truth about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, and what it meant for them, what it meant for all of creation, really, and how it is him, it is Christ who actually provides us with salvation forever and always through his grace and mercy. That was their message. That's what actually was meant to be going on. And that is why the apostles were held in such high esteem. That is why the people, the onlookers, the, the, the people who were interested to see what was actually happening, this new thing that was happening with the church, that's why they were held in high esteem. Because through Christ, people were learning about the true and fulfilling peace, hope, and security that all of our hearts desire which every one of us want. We all yearn for peace. We all yearn to have something to hope in. We all yearn for purpose in this life, and they were learning about it. Therefore, their esteem, the apostles' esteem that these people held them up for, their esteem did not come from what they were doing, what was being done through them, rather, but because of what they had to give 
You remember when uh, Peter went and spoke to the, to the man who needed healed who was sitting outside the temple and he said, sir, I have no money to give you, but I will give you what I have. And what they had was the truth about Jesus. What they had was the promise of salvation through Christ and Christ alone. This is always and only ever will be the truth of Jesus who is our Christ. And the outcome then, the outcome of their uh, bold and faithful witness is seen in verse 14, if you would look there. And more than ever, it says, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Don't let that pass by. Don't let verse 14 pass you by because what Luke says is more than ever, people were being saved. More than the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, more than the, 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 the additional 2,000 when that man was healed and everybody was wondering what in the heck was going on, more than some accumulative 5,000 people, more than that. Now, we're not given an exact number here, but that's wild if you think about it. We make so much news about the 3,000 and the 2,000, and we should. That's miraculous, but more than ever? It must have been wild. After all, it is hard. It's almost impossible for us, even if we put effort into it, to try and imagine what it would be like if more than ever people in Pickerington would be getting saved. We wouldn't know what to do with them. More than ever. I think we need to prayerfully consider that. Maranatha, what would that mean for us? What would that mean for how we live our life? The commitment we have towards Christ. And as this was going on in such a great number, the people from all over were beginning to recognize that there was something new happening in Jerusalem. People from the surrounding areas began to see this collection of people in this community operating in such a, a new and strange way. And based on the miracles of the apostles, these people from all over, they too wanted what the church was being given. They too began to desire what the church had. Look at verse 13 or 15. So that they, they being those who are hearing about this new way, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on the cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is wonderful. This is miraculous. But I think it's wise for us to discern what is actually happening in these moments. You see, if we put together what Luke told us about the activities in the temple and the reactions of the people who are, who are hearing about these miracles, then we can see that yes, yes, God is doing an incredible, mighty work through the apostles for the building up of his church. But also, those many, those many people who were showing up what they wanted, what they simply wanted was to receive the physical healing that they were witnessing, but not the eternal transformation that was being offered. Again, if you think about it, you'll recognize the difference. They wanted the physical healing that they were seeing, but not, they didn't desire to receive the eternal transformation that was actually being offered. Which is seen in how Almost superstitiously, the people of the city were laying out their sick into the streets. They were laying them out there just hoping that Peter's shadow would pass over the person. But as we take in the full counsel of the book of Acts, including the rest of Scripture, 
the people who were truly healed, the people who were eternally healed, were the people who came and gathered together to hear what the apostles had to say about Jesus. That is where true healing comes from. It comes from the truth. It comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, showing us that those signs and wonders that the apostles were allowed to perform, those miracles were only there as a way to authenticate the given and ordained ministry, which was to teach the people about the Christ and to write down and record God's word for the church, who is the new covenant body of people inaugurated by Christ. Now, something interesting about this passage Interesting about sort of, again, this timeline that's unraveling for us, something interesting is that this is not the first time that God has used this method of evidence to get his word out. This isn't the first time that he's used miracles to, uh, to get people's attention. You see, every time God wanted man to pay attention, he used one of his faithful servants to perform mighty works and wonders as a way to say, hey, you, look over here. Look at what I'm doing right? With Moses, you probably know that story. Moses was given the task to present God's law to God's people, and Moses was allowed or told to perform all kinds of signs and wonders. Elijah and Elisha were at the beginning of the time when the prophets of God were being sent out to speak to God's people. They too were able to work many miracles as they were testifying to God's word. And the new covenant when that, when that was being inaugurated, it was Jesus and the apostles who were given the ability to carry out these amazing wonders, which ultimately, as we learn from the book of John, were signs. Ultimately, these miracles, these wonders, these, these incredible works, they're signs that are meant to point us to something greater than the miracle itself. Essentially, again, anytime God was about to open up a new page of Revelation, he used miracles to prove to the people that it was happening because of him. What was happening was from him and to confirm that he is the one who sent those servant messengers. It was him who sent the people to the ones he loved. I said this earlier kind of, quickly or passing by it fast, but it's better that you hear it from the Apostle Paul. He tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 20, that the household of God was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The foundation was being built upon. They were building the foundation. Therefore, we no longer need the office of apostle, because the foundation has already been set. We have it right here. We no longer need the office of apostle. In fact, we don't have the office of apostle anymore, according to the Bible. According to the Bible, because one of the major qualifications that a man needed in order to be approved as an apostle was to have seen the risen Christ in the flesh. Therefore, the apostolic office cannot be claimed by anyone. As well, since Jesus himself closed the book on any new revelation, you can read about that at the end of the Bible, right? He says, no one can add or uh, subtract from this, let you be condemned. Since he chose to not add to his word of truth, we do not need the apostles in the way that the early church actually did. But today... We're not left on our own. We're not left without something. Today, we are given. The church does have evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. 
those who help guide the church, those who are in the church, those who are the body of believers who gather together. We have been given these officers, these people, these giftings to lead, guide, and still build the church as Jesus is still about the business of saving people as he is still in the business of adding to his kingdom family on a daily basis through the acts of his church. We are his church. This work continues through us. Now, please understand what I'm about to say that goes along with what I just said, because the office of apostle, even though it is over, and just because Jesus has said that he will not be revealing any new news, this does not mean that God in any way is limited in what he might do. God is not limited in any capacity. Maranatha, God can, and I believe he still does perform miracles if he wills. If he wills. The power for them, though, is not something that we can learn how to do. There's not a class you could take to learn how to heal someone The power is and always has been with God. The Bible tells it like that. The Bible tells us it has never been something that we can just learn. Remember uh, the attitudes of humility that the apostles actually showed, the ones who were doing this work. The the, the, uh, position of humility that they took when the people around them who were witnessing these miracles said, oh, you are powerful. What are you doing? They believed that it was them who was doing all of these incredible works. But without fail... They always denied that this miraculous power came from them. Instead, they always pointed to Jesus Christ. They always recognized that what was being done was to point us to something greater than itself. Therefore, to find true and fulfilling peace, hope, and security, we do not need to wait on miracles today. We do not need to wait on miracles to happen today because we have the full truth, again, right here in front of our eyes everything we need for life and godliness. We do not need to search for miracles around every corner in hopes to guide us, to to show us that we are walking in God's will because we have available as our daily bread, again, the full counsel of God's word. We have the foundation to stand upon as it speaks of Jesus, who is the Christ. It is given to us by God for us who are his church through his apostles. That is why it is what we teach It is why we hold it as the chief authority. It is why we must teach it to our children, not just moral platitudes of do as I say, but do as God has said. Think about that for a while. You'll notice the difference. It is what we must teach each other because it is how we know all that we need to believe, again, for life and godliness. It is how we know all that we need to believe for this life and the next. To be said a different way, we can hope in what the Bible teaches us because it is the revelation of Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and it is because of him, who is the very word of God, that we now have all we need to understand our given salvation and how we are to live according to his will. It's all we need. Everything has been laid down by the apostles through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean? What is, what is the application as we are looking at all these many miracles that the apostles are doing and all these wondrous signs and all this incredible uh, testimony of people getting saved? What does it all mean? What kind of application can we draw from this incredible glimpse into the beginning of the church? 
Well, I've said it before, but miracles are miraculous, and they're fun to talk about, right? They're interesting to, 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 to try and understand and work through. But what this passage really is about, what, is actually, what we're actually able to learn from this passage, is that God loves his word. God loves his word, and he is willing to protect it. He loves it because it comes from his son and because it sings about his love for Jesus and his church. Therefore, we too must protect it. We too must protect God's word and we should work to keep it holy in our hearts as we grow in our motivation to uphold it. As we are being sanctified. Yes, we are saved and we are being saved as well. We are continually being sanctified. As well, the apostles' job was to teach people about Jesus. It was their job, no matter the danger, no matter the potential public embarrassment or the social ramifications, their job was to live as evangelists, to be tellers of what is real and to be followers of the truth. Maranatha, that is to be us too. That is the call of the church. That is to be us as well. And I'll ask you, what would it be like if more than ever you believed that God's word of truth actually saves just like it, sh it shows us and promises that it will? What more than ever would happen if more than ever you were sharing the truth with people as you interacted with them throughout your daily activities? What would happen more than ever if you... Uh, taught your children the Bible instead of just watching television or, or reading a book about Jack and the Beanstalk? I don't know. What would happen more than ever to our church if we, if we became more and more united to one another, supporting each other, testifying to the world that Jesus Christ truly did send his son for the salvation of the world and people recognize that peace and hope and joy and love that exists here at Maranatha, what would happen more than ever to the city of Pickerington and the surrounding areas? It's something that we prayerfully need to consider because we are called to that. It is the great gift that we have. It's what's going on today with baptism as these, these men are going to come and they're going to testify. They're going to show their vulnerability. They're going to proclaim to all of us that I am in need of a Savior. It is a glorious gift, the gospel. And it speaks of Jesus Christ, our only hope in this life and the next. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you bring about salvation for us. Help us, Lord, to be the church. Help us, Lord, to live in the way that you desire for us to do. Give us a thirst for your word. Let us live in your wisdom. Let us live in your power as you guide us and lead us and sanctify us. Lord, we are thankful that you've revealed yourself to us. Thank you for letting us be the church. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.